0: Please spread the word about my shows. I'm an independent creator and I would really appreciate it. I make K-pop guides, as well as I have exclusive interviews with songwriters, journalists, the artists themselves, best new music roundup episodes, artist-specific deep dive episodes, episodes about the history of K-pop, all sorts of content is covered. So to get your fill and support an independent creator, please check out 17 Carat K-pop wherever you get your podcasts and view an episode guide at howtostan.substack.com. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to 17 Carat K-pop really excited today to talk about all things billy b-i-l-l-l-i-e a very underrated k-pop girl group i've had my eyes on them for a while and i want to explain why they stand out to me so here is the whole origin story their music video world lies in hopefully this conversation is for old and new fans going over the story for newbies but also providing some interesting details that you may have overlooked before Before diving into the short films and music videos that make up Billy's universe, I want to go back to the source material. They have a song called, in part, A Song for Matilda, and a character is reading a Roald Dahl book who wrote Matilda in one of their videos. So the Roald Dahl impact is a big part of the story and he was kind of a problematic guy. Not here to idolize him, not here to lionize him, but I will say his catalog truly was a big part of my childhood and many others, and the story of Matilda really does keep resonating with kids, and the connections between Matilda and Billy's story are very common once you pay close attention to both. So let's start by talking about Matilda, then Billy's whole story will seem a lot less ambiguous, will seem more clear in what it's trying to say. First of all, the story of Matilda really, really popular. It actually bombed at the box office, though, when it was made a movie, but the movie itself has also become quite popular since it came out in 1996. Matilda's story has also been adapted into several musicals across several decades, one toured the USA back in 2015, and a new musical version, plus an animated series, are actually coming to Netflix soon. The trailer for the Netflix musical already out, by the way. Worldwide book sales of this 1988 story are well over 17 million now. It's also had an audiobook, somehow recorded by Kay Winslet, not on my bingo card, but okay. It was adapted as a radio program for BBC. It's been adapted in many ways. But we're going to talk about the original book storyline, which follows Matilda Wormwood, Child Genius. Matilda is obsessed with books, loves, loves, loves to read a very high IQ, picks up on words at a super, super early age. She just has an insatiable appetite for the written word. She really is a character I, and fellow bookworm kids, really fell in love with. Her parents have some pretty easy-to-see-on-its-face symbolism. They're emblematic of this sense of materialism and frivolous things in life, status symbols, more shallow values. Her parents love, as her mom puts it, looks over books. They find it off-putting and annoying that this young girl has a bunch of fun trivia to share, so they do the opposite of foster her creativity. And her dad really doesn't understand why she doesn't practically worship the telly, as they call it, like they do. Because he's like, why would you spend hours in a book when you can learn the same stuff from TV, in his way of putting it much faster, F-A-S-T-A-H. There's even one scene that's really sad to watch as a bookworm when her dad rips up pages from her book and dramatically throws them in the trash. The crumpled paper also makes an appearance in Billy's video in one of them. And other times you see papers, hand-drawn images, those types of things. Matilda desperately wishes her parents would learn there's more to life than, quote, cheating people and watching television, unquote. Matilda feels very ignored, and so her brilliance doesn't get her the parental love and affection every kid wants. So to get her parents' attention, she has to pull pranks she glues her dad's hat to his head at one point she sticks a parrot up the chimney so it sounds like a burglar she has all this anger and resentment and just wishing that her family treated her better she's also eternally frustrated that she's just a little girl who is basically feeling obligated to listen to orders because as parents like to say because i told you so she's really frustrated she has to follow their stupid commands basically One person who does see Matilda's vast potential is Miss Honey, her teacher. She sees her as such a gifted person. She really vouches for her to move up a grade, but the evil headmistress, Miss Trunchbull, who we'll talk about more in a minute, denied the request. Miss Honey even went to lengths like paying a visit to her house to try to convince her parents to let her move up a grade, or at least really help foster and further Matilda's intelligence. They clearly are very ticked off about her, though. They view her as kind of pretentious going into their house and saying that. Miss Honey clearly sees herself in Matilda and doesn't want Matilda to have the same fate. She views Matilda as someone worth investing in. That's what Matilda craved, an adult to actually see her and value a little kid for who they are. See what they can do, not what they're still lacking. And Miss Honey saw the potential to bond with someone to help her rekindle her inner child in her inner flame that went out because, as we later learn, she was raised by an abusive aunt, Miss Trunchbull. She wants to help Matilda avoid a fate like hers, and here's a devastating quote. I have found it impossible to talk to anyone about my problems. I couldn't face the embarrassment, and anyway, I lacked the courage. Any courage I had was knocked out of me when I was young. But now, all of a sudden, I have a sort of desperate wish to tell everything to someone. I know you are only a tiny little girl, but there is some kind of magic in you somewhere. I've seen it with my own eyes. Unquote. Really sums up their dynamic, what she sees in her, and some themes you'll see in Billy's work too. Seeing is believing. Magic. Feeling like you lack the courage to admit what's happening. Keeping secrets. Feeling like your voice is suppressed. Miss Trunchbull, to say she rules with an iron fist, is an understatement this is actually how the book is really well written to appeal to kids and then in hindsight you interpret it differently as an adult because as a kid you think "Ooh, she's just a really kooky professor who is outlandish for the sake of being outlandish her punishments involve like one she picks up by the braided pigtails swings the girl over the fence she puts kids in the choky, this really scary basically like a bed of nails meets a coffin she does outlandish, there's no way a teacher could get away with that punishment. And as a kid reading the book, you just think it's drama for the sake of drama's sake for the story. But as an adult, you realize Miss Trunchbull's whole thing was getting kids in trouble and punishing them in ways that led people to not believe them. So her whole underlying project is to discredit the youth in the eyes of their parents. Because if you go home and say, at school I got detention, your parents might be like, oh my gosh, what happened? If you go home and say, she put me in the choky, which is a room the school has with nails and stuff in it, your parents are going to be like, okay, calm your imagination. She was helping do what Matilda was frustrated by in her home life, making kids feel invisible or just not believed, maybe to the point, like Miss Honey, where they become adults and hide who they used to be. They keep more under the surface. Matilda has this neurological compulsion though. She has to use her brain more. She just has to. She's so bored in class. She develops telekinetic powers and she channels those into pulling pranks and stuff. Like one time she has a friend Lavender who puts a newt in Trenchbull's water glass and then Matilda uses telekinesis to smash the glass on her head. Matilda really befriends Miss Honey, spends many afternoons with her talking books, sharing fun facts, reveling in their shared love of knowledge, and feeling like books just transport you to exciting new worlds. There's that theme again of creating your own reality, your own dream world that you immerse yourself in. A theme you gotta keep in mind once I get to Billy's story. Eventually, Matilda helps stuff hidden in Miss Honey's shadow resurface in the persona part of her. We'll talk more about that later. And Miss Honey opens up more to her and reveals some of her dark past. She also reveals to her that she has more money, but she's living in poverty, paycheck to paycheck, in a small cottage because Miss Trunchbull stole her inheritance. So Miss Trunchbull is living fancy with the money that when Dr. Magnus Honey passed away, should have gone to her. Matilda, being the smart child she is, uses the name Magnus, the first name, to spook Trunchbull. So she uses telekinesis to write with chalk a message from the ghost of Magnus saying, Miss Trunchbull, you better give Miss Honey her money (laughs) and I will haunt your spirit for life if you don't. Miss Trunchbull is terrified by this ghost who wrote this message on the chalkboard in real time. So she makes a hasty retreat, flees town, never seen again, and does give Miss Honey what she is owed. Mr. Trilby becomes the new headmaster, and the school really becomes a nicer place to be. He does help Matilda move up a grade, and he's just really wonderful. The whole atmosphere changes, and is more supportive of kids. And Matilda is relieved because her telekinetic powers disappear. They were kind of a stressful thing to deal with, because sometimes you can't control your bursts of emotion that lead to telekinesis. And Miss Honey said she thought, you probably got rid of that power because you don't need it. You're actually using your brain now in the quote-unquote normal ways as intended. You have quote-unquote normal outlets for your emotions now. We'll revisit this when we talk about Billy's Gingamingio video with all the floating objects. The story has quite an ending where it turns out the feds are on the case. Mr. Wormwood stole cars and was selling the stolen cars. So he's in trouble with the law and the Wormwoods are just going to flee town matilda begs to stay home with miss honey and be raised by her because she was de facto being raised by her anyway for a very long time now the wormwoods being the demons they are are like sure whatever we don't care stay with her and distractedly just go without any remorse so miss honey and matilda do live a special happy life together Some key quotes and moments in Matilda that we have to talk about that very much relate to Billy's story. One is the constant references to pranks pulling off trickery to get attention, going to those extremes to feel seen. One big theme to remember, too, is just kids trying to be heard, trying to break out of a time loop in Billy's story. And in Matilda, there's this reminder, quote, the whole object of life is to go forwards, unquote. In one scene, Matilda says more kids books should be a lot more funny because kids love to laugh more than serious adults. And reflecting on moments of just playing together and laughing as young kids, that's a frequent thing Billy's monologues mention. The book references icebergs and what people have below their surface, which ties into something we're going to talk about later. There are the references to Matilda's inner world as she escapes into books. She talks about feeling like she was flying by. The girls actually fly, literally, in one of Billy's videos. There's this incredible way of putting this feeling, quote, She felt as though she had touched something that was not quite of this world. The highest point of the heavens, the farthest star, she had felt most wonderfully, the power surging up behind her eyes, unquote. There's a really funny quote about going full hog, quote, never do anything by halves if you want to get away with it. Be outrageous, go the whole hog, make sure everything you do is so completely crazy, it's unbelievable. Going the whole hog. And Billy have a song called Overlap 1 slash 1, 1 over 1, the fraction for 1 as opposed to 1 half. Another relevant quote, quote, we are playing with mysterious forces, my child, that we know nothing about. I do not think they are evil. They may be good. They may even be divine. But whether they are or not, let us handle them carefully. Unquote. So many lovable quotes about this book, which is kind of a love letter to reading, in the worlds you can create in your mind. Now let's back up and introduce you to Billy. First of all, this is a group from Mystic Story Entertainment, the long-teased Mystic Rookies group actually from a subsidiary of sorts, owned by SM Entertainment, so that's why the storytelling is so rich. This is the first group to debut that was put together by the iconic artist Yoon Johnshin. shin The fandom is The Believe. There's no official group leader, which really helps symbolize their story about friendship, mutual respect, etc. They debuted November 10th, 2021, although they added a member November 19th. They debuted with The Village of Perception, Chapter 1, with lyrics wondering where this mysterious Billy Love character is. Is she dead? What happened to her? Is she in hiding? It all revolves around where is Billy and who knows what happened to her. They have lyrics like, is it too late to ask a question? Yes or no? Stop or go? April Fool's promises to save her when she rings the bell that she needs help. There's also this conversation in the lyrics about it's alright, no it's not. It'll be fine, no it's not. Trying to admit the truth to themselves. You could say those lyrics are a conversation between their personas and shadows. We'll get to that. The most important lyrics to remember from Flipping a Coin, a b-side from that album, are references to lie after lie and feeling like you have to make a choice. They also reference the color blue. The ballad, Flowered, Flower L.D., has a lot of quotes about the shining moonlight, getting out of the darkness, the dreams you blossom, the dreams you create, a world being connected to this mystery person, which is Billy, and reference coloring. On the 11th day, they reflect on the past memories of this gloomy day where it rained purple rain. They also mention a forgotten light, and it ends with a line being repeated, hide somewhere. On Everybody's Got a Secret, they reference this black spell, this dark magic, this force they don't understand, the force that they think kidnapped Billy Love. There's a song called The Rumor, where they reference maybe she ran away, but they also talk about rumors. We've heard it all, they say. December 2021, they released a Christmas single, but it kept in line with their story, The Collective Soul and Unconscious, Snowy Night. Some references in Snowy Night worth remembering, a snow globe, the moon, shining lights, and having your own personal little world, a little Milky Way, a little galaxy you can escape into. February 2022, they released The Collective Soul and Unconscious, Chapter 1, The A-side Gingamingo, aka The Strange World. And the intro is, What a Strange World, It's Confusing, Billy. They have more lyrics about missing Billy, but feeling like they have responsibility now to make a choice to save her. They're kind of in a time loop. They hint at the answer to the question, Who is Billy Love? with lyrics like, Found Billy, and it seems like it's me. Who's this Billy in the mirror? Is there one answer only? They also talk about feeling like the right answer keeps swinging between an X or an O, which becomes a symbol, of some of the evil characters in their music video world, where. Plus, there are these evil, or indicative of evil, forces, X and O emblems, that light up the sky in their new video. This quote really made me think of Matilda. Even though there's something wriggling inside me, I hold it in like a grown-up. Why do my parents say I should stay calm and still? Friends are the only ones who can understand me. They talk about the sense of magical forces they don't understand in A Sign, Anonymous. I suddenly felt it. The trace is everywhere. A dreamland in reality. When I looked it up, it wasn't me, an unknown sign, countless meanings surrounding me, a lot of pranks hidden to me behind the shattered traces, a sign that speaks to me, is this deja vu, finding meanings. They also reference a diary, which we will get to later. Overlap, one over one, really represents the things we've already talked about. Feeling connected with the greater world, feeling connected to Billy, seeing yourself in Billy, feeling like your stories become one and the same with their overlap points, the time loop, reference to a dark force dragging you backwards. They reference a string, and there is a lot of string and yarn you'll notice in their videos. They also reference a door as close as a shadow. Shadow is a key word, plus there's a big door in the middle of the room, this mysterious weird room they go in in the Ring Ring video. They talk about a thin but deep mirage. Billy, I know you. Set a focus on you. It resembles me the more I look. Page folded in half the moment we met each other. We feel the same. The smile that I can picture. It looks like you again. In Gingamingio, they said four, three, two, one. In Overlap, now they're saying one, two, three, four, and talking about feeling like they're on this sort of axis, this two way mirrored reality. They have a song called Moon Palace, which similarly mirrors the song Sun Palace. It references the time loop, repeating days, the other side, the other world, questioning fate and coincidence, talking about lies. They also reference, again, this black magic. In the song Believe, they reference a shining tomorrow, sparkling stars, coincidence, destiny, trapped in time, wondering if you'll believe them, talking about drawing your day, drawing your thoughts laughing together the good memories then they say our world starts now in the final post chorus ends with i believe the phrase whatchamacallit makes its return in the title now for the rumor the soundtrack version in the timeline now, I guess we could say it was time for their yoon Shin collab, Pat Sue, but that was just a cute, fun, separate from their story, Summer Jam, from July 2022, actually a birthday gift to me, that's exciting. But let's move back into the chronology of the story, moving right along to August 31st, 2022, when they released The Village of Perception, Chapter 2. In The Birth of Emotion, they reference broken memories, fragmented memories, not knowing what's right, how much your memories are to be trusted, a blurry childhood. They also again show this inner conflict created by the external, mirrored realities. They say, my my be right before bye bye be. They also describe Billy as like a dense, emotional forest, which makes sense given the forest that the girls all run through again and again in the videos. Brave, a song for Matilda, very much brings to mind the story. It's themes about how strange it is adults never listen to you or just don't believe you, the need to be extra to get their attention, feeling like you have small but mighty powers that you're going to use to the fullest. They describe blossoming out of indifference, thriving despite a lack of audience and investment in you. They also reference feeling like you, the friend, Billy, the Billy in their life, symbolically, helped the maze fall apart help the walls get torn down emotionally to help them thrive. Billy is basically the Miss Honey of their story. The song they've been promoting now is Ring My Bell, What a Wonderful World. And the lyrics talk about, it is a wonderful world now because I met myself that I couldn't imagine. There are a lot of noteworthy lyrics here, including, It's a secret between the two of us. We arrived in the place that seems so far away. The colors in the new world are beautiful. At a clearer point, I say hello into the other reality. Open my eyes wide, just reset everything. Confidently step forward into the other reality. When I open my eyes, everyone is Billy. What a wonderful world. I believe in me. And it ends with reset one more time. Guffin's aka Who's the Joker, that's a really interesting song. It compares their existence to a shadow when they say, Clearly it mattered, but why? They also have lyrics about, the memories keep blurring and it feels like someone is blurring them. The second they come into focus, someone plays a trick on you and makes you feel gaslit. It kind of is like they're pulling out a Joker card. They are throwing a wild card into your memory. That's why the title is, Who's the Joker? There's a potential symbol there. The Joker is in a playing card deck or like wild card options, substitute cards. You never know what purpose they'll serve in the game. Plus the MacGuffin reference, maybe to a MacGuffin, which is a term for when something in a book has no purpose besides furthering the plot. Like, why did a certain circumstance happen in a book that seems unrealistic? Well, it was needed to keep this plot going a certain way. That would be a MacGuffin. So that's an interesting title, referencing this sneak attack on their memories mixed with a plot furtherance. So it's like whatever blurred their memory did so because the lack of a clear memory is part of their whole plot. And if they have clarity too soon, the story would end. Back to Where We Belong talks again about being led by light and drawing yourselves together. Lastly, The Sun Palace references the Stroop Effect in its title. Stroop Effect is really interesting. It refers to this delay in your reaction time It actually comes from, I mean, other versions were published earlier, but the main known first English language publication of this psychological concept of the Stroop Effect was printed in 1935 in the Journal of Experimental Psychology. The Stroop Effect, named after John Ridley Stroop, is basically about the difference in reaction times, tasks you're asked to do together. The most common example of this test in action is like when you see the color of a word and are asked to say the word. Don't say the color, say the word. So like if you see the word purple written in pink letters, you're asked to say what the word is. You have to say purple even though your mind is looking at pink letters. Now the reverse droop effect is actually a thing too. It's on display when you're asked to name the written color and point to it when it's layered. Like if you see the word pink written in purple and see four different colored squares and are asked to point to the square that matches the word. So you're looking for the pink square even though it's in purple letters. Semantic interference describes when it's faster to name neutral stimuli in congruent conditions. Translation, it's easier to name the color or the word if that's all you have to do. If they just say name the color and you look at a colored square or they just have a word and ask you to say the word. Semantic fascination is when there's the mismatch. It describes how naming when they're together is quicker. Like saying pink when you see the word pink in pink letters is done quicker than if you have to say pink and you see pink and purple letters. So there's semantic interference, semantic fascination, and then there's Stroop asynchrony which describes how both of those types of semantics become irrelevant when the task becomes reading the word. Naming the ink color is quicker or slower, but if all we're talking about is the text, that changes the equation completely. The bottom line is that minds are confusing and weird, and so the song is all about the Stroop effect. The song is about feeling like the rules of the world and how these experiments go are incomprehensible. They also have lyrics about questioning who they are and what they're good at, and just walking and wandering, trying to find themselves. You can get out of a time loop, a sense that there's a disconnect between parts of themselves, and they want to feel whole again and move forward chronologically to do so. The symbolism of Sun Palace aka Stroop effect is clear by the fact the epilogue in the soundtrack version of this album is called Reprise of the Sun Palace. They also reference Hide and Seek in that soundtrack tracklist, and A Retrogression of Time. Retrogression is the process of returning to an earlier state, typically a worse one. That's the actual definition. So first they released Ring My Bell, then they released a song called Ring My Bell, Retrogression of Time. The first short film that came out before their official debut was out November 2nd, 2021, and was called The Village of Perception. It showed these two kids walking in the woods. There's the reference to the woods again. A boy and a girl, presumably a girl and her little brother. She's shocked he's never heard the story of Billy and the number 11. So he starts hearing the story about this, quote, scary intruder, unquote. They talk about the 11th day. And this was the 11th day at the end of summer. The bell rang 11 times during this day where it was raining purple. Some dark force is afoot. And when the bell rings 11 times that day, it can transport people to the alternate world. A really notable moment is when they reach a house in the woods that says Billy Love's house, but instead of reading the word love, the subtitle says me. So when she's saying love, question mark, the subtitle changes and just says me, question mark? The narration continues, talking about it was just an ordinary day. Kind of dull, unmemorable, unmemorable. A girl scene posing with a camera, that's notable for later. The narration continues, talking about this big evil force that they got a warning message about in purple. They call it Purple Mail. There's this nun seen as the narration continues, staring down at two girls menacingly, as the voiceover says, quote, The safest and the most dangerous person without love who might take one of us. The bigger the shadow, the more daunting this force could be. Keep that in mind. The video ends after the bell rings, then came short film two, november fourth, twenty twenty one. This one interestingly provides zero subtitles, no English ones, no Korean ones either, as of recording time. Some of the words on the screen though include lies and run and hide. The girls are seated for this family dinner, two of them at least, and they overhear their mom and dad sharing rumors about what happened to Billy Love. Did she run away? What was she doing while she was waiting and then was taken? Have you guys heard about this? The girls are obviously very uncomfortable and don't want to talk about this. Their mom outright asked them at one point, were you going to go to her house to see what's up? And they say no. Then the narrator says, quote, they all became liars to Billy and to the world. Pitiful, unquote. Some of the images most worth remembering from many you could focus on. One is that they keep staring in the woods, holding onto the gate, the fencing outside of Billy's house. There's also this diner location that comes back later, where one girl is on the phone and she has this cool butterfly heart combo tattoo on her pointer finger. One of them's coloring. One of them encounters a purple apple that says the number 11 on it. And another has a purple leaf in her hand. All the girls are seen gathered in a circle for what looks like an awkward funeral-slash-seance of sorts with teddy bears and different trinkets spread out on the grass in a pile. Day turns to night, and they still stand there, looking at their souvenir sacrifices, I guess, waiting for Billy, or to summon her spirit or something. It starts pouring rain as the bell rings. We snap back to the present day and hear this girl telling her brother once they've entered and are just creeping around in this mystery abandoned Billy Love house. She says, go up the stairs and you'll see the attic where the girls who know what happened to Billy can finish this story. He's like, there's no attic in this house. And she says, quote, making something that doesn't exist, exist. We call it desperate. Are you desperate now? Then close your eyes, wake up your senses and open your mind. Can you see it? Unquote. She basically says, there is an attic, you have to believe it into being, you have to tap into your unconscious soul, the collective unconscious, and bring to the surface your memory of it. She tells him, quote, go up the stairs and look at the world of Eleven, unquote. Also will be notable for later, some girls held teddy bears in the video, others held flowers, white or purple ones. And beforehand, she basically tells him to enter the show with a ticket. So he takes a ticket out of this fishbowl-type container to watch their personas emerge, you could say. Their public-facing selves. Once again, to add to the intrigue and mystery, there are zero subtitles for the Ring Ring video, at least as of recording time. The color purple continues to be a big deal. A purple glow in different rooms. There are white flowers, a mirror, room with the weird door in the center. The video ends with them in this mystery attic. One of them closes this trinket box that has a teddy bear inside. At other times, we see the box has this diary in it, as well as yarn. Remember the strings? They meant literally and symbolically tied them to Billy. They also, as they continue to lie, like we know nothing about who Billy is or what happened to her, they wear signs that indicate they do. One member wears Billy's name, made out of rhinestones on her face, and someone else wears a jacket that says Run and Hide, the game they were playing with Billy before she vanished. A lot of themes recur on Snowy Night, and in that video we see a couple different chapters it's broken into, including Meet the Forest, A Disappearance, and A Discovery and Awakening. They all wake up at the end of the video like it was a dream, but one member gets up, walks over to the mirror, and sees she's still wearing the bunny ears from the dream that she brought into the real world. They also have the snow globe they are presumably in in the dream world, which was referenced in a song. And the video is very interestingly paced, almost like the feel of a stop-motion movie. Like the video was made to be at 0.5 times the speed, which adds to the sense of them being trapped in a slowed-down time loop. Next chronologically, in terms of videos, Gingamingyo, The Strange World which starts on the screen with a Carl Jung quote. Until you make the unconscious conscious, it will direct your life, and you will call it fate. There are so many major details to remember in this video. One is the mirror in the dance studio, where when she touches it, it ripples like water, like it's a mirage. And she enters a new room with these mirrored images of her from the other world. Another one tries to use a vending machine that's jammed up. There's a forest again. Nods to playing like little kids before Billy disappeared. Part of the choreography brings to mind hand clapping games. They hang out on a playground. There's a hallway full of doors to mystery locations. They are exploring the strange world. They are exploring their collective unconscious. They also see a bunch of balloons, a birthday cake that's their special number 11 on the candle. Forces outside their control are involved. One actually sucks a girl up the playground slide. Another force pulls a girl under a big blue sheet into this new world. Objects and furniture start to levitate. There's a funky one-eyed rabbit wearing a necklace, and the necklace has, like, the different planets on it, beads that resemble the planets the girls actually sat on, individual planets. It's like a world within a world type of thing, in a very bizarre way. It is indeed just THE strange world here. Also symbolic Polaroid pictures. This all make sense at the end. Then came out another short film called What Is Your Bee, February 13th, 2022. They reiterate in that monologue that their story is about a missing child taken by a dark, mysterious creature, and that everything is still speculative, rumors, gossip about what really happened. Key parts of the dialogue in this short film. I'm going to skip around a bit, but here's what you need to remember. An overwhelming moment, just being with her, The time with her that adults didn't acknowledge. I had to hide it, so the lies got bigger. She was born to be bad. She deserves to disappear, right? She knew too many things she didn't need to know. I heard there's not even a trace, and no one saw her. Did you already forget? I had to hide the time we were together. I had to lie, and no one easily noticed her absence. I can't find her anymore. The child hiding in the shadow of the room, so perfect to be taken. Do you remember her name? Your invitation has finally arrived. Your hint delivered like a nightmare. We should be the child. I know the secret. We? Who is we? This is the moment I saw in my dream. Déjà vu. I smile. Now everyone will recognize the truth. I'll hide because I know everyone's secret. Did you forget? It's you who made Billy disappear. You erased her. You abandoned her. You hurt her. You locked her room with the safest but most dangerous look. The way you look is not everything. The things you know are not everything. The memory we already forgot. The memory we forced ourselves to seal. Do you really forget? Only then we could recognize each other in the ways we forgot. You come here. We come to you like a connected string. We broke up 11 times. We forgot Billy. Remember. Turn back time. Confide. Take her back. Wake them up. Tell them. It's not too late. Let's go. To meet her. What is your be? It's notable that a lot of their song titles are lowercase, but the B's are capitalized. This B they referred to, their B-side, their shadow self, the side that is not frontward facing for the world to see. The place where, like Miss Honey, they suppress a bunch of memories, that all resides in the shadow, but it's emerging now, or they're trying to get it to emerge. Some really notable details visually in that short film include the purple Care Bear. The blue book that says Billy on it, in yarn letters on the front. Cracks forming in the mirror, when the clock strikes eleven. Dice, chess pieces, game pieces, toys. A blue colored pencil. The walls that start dripping purple liquid, which also starts dripping down from a photo booth and filling a fishbowl. The one-eyed rabbit, who actually makes an appearance now. Not just an image, but an appearance. Each member picks up a bunny playing card. The bunny image on their card. One gets it out of the vending machine. One gets it from the photo booth, another in the diner. One member also wears butterfly-shaped earrings. That reminded me of the butterfly tattoo. There are flashbacks to running scared through the woods, and then the duality, the mirrored image, laughing together, playing in the attic. The girls eventually just put all their cards with the bunny images in the box on top of the billy book and close the lid. Follow-up close-ups are darker all of a sudden, like the fishbowl being dropped on the ground and shattering and a close-up of someone locking a door, and more flashbacks to running scared through the woods. The final short film to talk about, The End of the World and the Awakening, The Village of Perception, Chapter 2. Again, I'm going to go through parts of the dialogue, the monologues, that are really important, then go back and recap the visual parts that are really symbolic here. Quote, In the end, we couldn't remember a blurry vow. Today, after 11 summers since I erased the memory of her, from the farthest corner of my memory, the world called us that beautiful, joyful, and foolish moments will disappear. Declaration of the end of the world that Billy is buried in, and howling of the halted memory returned. The most valuable thing is hidden under the world tree. Side note, nod to the collective unconscious. Anyway. Vow, secret, treasure, memory, story, magic, and lies. Buried deep so no one can look. Our violet past. Side note, the subtitle does say violet, not violent. I don't think that's a typo. I think that's another nod to the purple symbolism. We gathered to take out the past. We were startled to find the past was gone. We had to search, high and low. Our fairy tale disappeared without a trace. You and I grew distant. The stories we bloomed. I didn't abandon you. I didn't forget you. I thought we were playing hide and seek. You suggested we go backwards as fast as we can. Side note again, this narration comes when they're riding their bikes, so you could think they're talking about going backwards on their bikes, but actually I also think it's a metaphor about time, this time loop. You made me laugh when I wanted to cry. You made me laugh harder when I wanted to laugh. I was in warmth when everyone was cold. First wipe my tears, antiseptic for my wound. You held my hand when I was lonely. You gave me a shoulder to lean on when I was wary. Our story is not a foolish fairy tale that disappears easily. Reverse of time. Direct motion of light. Origination of shadow. The world is destroyed and my mature self is born. An old vow is reborn as a new oath. You can wait right there. I will go rescue you. Your name is Billy and Love, my B-side. Revealed while trying to erase. I found you, my Billy. Tell me your B, unquote. All right, I'm going to tie everything together and explain what's going on. But first, a quick summary of the visual aspects of that short film and the Ring My Bell video. I'll do them together. Then I will explain what all this is about. They stand by the gate outside our house again. One has a key. Another has a balloon. They unlock the gate, start getting flashbacks to playing on their bikes. They play rock, paper, scissors. They play tag. This is when they give the tagger a cat mask to wear. So for the rest of the video, we don't see her face. We don't know who's behind the mask. One eye of the mask is purple, the other is blue. That's notable, in that she never takes it off. During one flashback, another girl almost gets her to take it off, but not before the scene just snaps away. The girls have that seance scene they did earlier, but now in a flashback mode as little kids, almost like a funeral for the girl with the cat mask. They put flowers and stuff around her. They have another flashback with balloons, flashbacks of Cat Girl comforting people, just being their friend, playing games with them, shadow puppets. There are some photos we see. Photos continue to be symbolic here. A flashback reading Roald Dahl. As the girls revisit these settings in the present day, they flash back to these flashbacks from the same places. One time, Cat Girl leaves a sleeping bunny in one girl's lap to be her comfort girl looks back at a bunch of Polaroids. The clock strikes 11. We see glass and windows breaking. The reverse of time. The pictures thrown up in the air. The sky turns purple. They talk about a new world that's similar to the old world resurfacing. The school building just crumbles. The whole building falls. The girls close the gates, walk away from the scene. There's a full moon, close-ups of eyes, that green X and O in the sky, a purple glow, a purple guitar pick the flying scene after they jump off the roof, in the post credit scene of the Ring My Bell video shows them approaching Cat Girl, Cat Mask Girl, in the present day, and she's holding a butterfly net, which reminds me of the butterfly tattoo and earrings and other nods. Okay, so I've tried to compile as much as I can that summarizes their story and what it's all about. So here is my first list for you to remember which is just repeated references, recurring themes, and specific symbols details to keep an eye on because they keep showing up, basically whatever repeated that is noteworthy in Billy's short films and videos. Butterflies, the Billy book, aka the diary, teddy bears, toys, games, a key and a lock, moonlight or shining stars, sunlight, those types of references, paper, drawings, coloring, tickets, that trinket box, yarn, pictures polaroids snapshots in time references to clocks to purple or blue to the number 11 references to just rumors gossip miracles fate destiny pranks mirrors snow globes lies trying to figure out what is truth and just the nature of truth foggy rainy weather mysterious purple liquid purple and white flowers balloons bells the woods the one-eyed rabbit Alluding to dark forces and shadows, feeling ignored, not taken seriously by adults, cherishing your childhood friendships, referencing a parallel world, alternate realities, the concept of seeing is believing, the concept of memory itself and how reliable it is, feeling mixed up, confused, struggling to know what's right or wrong, real or fake, those are the main ones. Another list I want to share is I looked at what is blue and what's purple, because those are the key colors. And remember the cat mask has one purple, one blue eye. Blue things include the rhinestones on their faces, laser lights, the billy book, the colored pencil, and the bed sheet, where she was sucked into the alternate world while she was under the sheet. Purple objects lights, the glow from a room, the rain, the sky, the mystery liquid, the guitar pick, the care bear, the balloons, flowers, the leaf, the apple, this tissue paper bouquet, the purple mail as they call their email, and the reference to a violet past. So way more quantity and quality-wise depth to the purple than the blue. I also took note of the number 11 and where it shows up. The different contexts include when they say the day of 11, the 11th season, the 11th summer, addresses 11b-side and we are apart 11 times. 11 is the time the bell rings, the number when the clock strikes, the birthday candle number, the number on the apple, and the number on the front of a motorcycle helmet. Probably also hidden in other scenes that I didn't even pick up on. I kept track of main recurring settings in their flashbacks and present day, and I noticed there are six main recurring settings. The 7th might be unveiled soon and have to do with what happens when they find Billy Love. Because so far we've had that stairwell, the diner, the classroom, the dance studio, the attic, and then Billy Love's house from the outside with the gates and the woods around it. I also looked at which song titles were capitalized. Because like I said, lots are lowercase, but some are capitalized, especially the B words. So putting them all together paints an interesting picture of what they want to emphasize. Billy. Village, just the letter B. Birth, brave, back, balloon, secret, ring, flowered, gingamingio, moon, Matilda, MacGuffins, sun, Joker. Here are the keywords that were listed during the monologues: vow, secret, treasure, memory, story, magic, lies. They also reference their B code names, including Balloon, Birdcage, Blossom, etc. Then there are the keywords that are repeated two or three or more times in the monologues and song lyrics. The lines that keep repeating that seem really notable. Dead. Talk. Not anymore. Blood. I can't find her. Calling out members' name. Did you forget? Lies. You're dead. Fearsome intruder. That's her and can you see it? Really paints the picture, emphasizes the core of what their story deals with. Last part of today's guide to what Billy's story is all about ties Billy and Matilda's stories into a greater psychoanalytical context. So here's your crash course about Carl Yoon. We've talked about some of his thoughts in NCT Talk before, the sea of unconscious and stuff. So I'm kind of going off of that, but more basic foundational Carl Yoon. Because Billy named the series *The Collective Soul and Unconscious*, and overtly used Carl Jung as a jumping-off point at the start of a video, so the Carl Jung tie-ins are not just me guessing. The interpretation of how they apply Carl Jung's teachings—that's my interpretation. That's my application, but the application is definitely obvious. So Carl Jung, really interesting guy. He was considered the founder of analytical psychology. Lots of parallels to Goffman's work, so my fellow sociology nerds get excited because he did kind of touch on a lot of the same themes. He was viewed as a very weird guy because he really believed in spiritual forces, mystical realms kind of a thing. The spiritual in the the things you can't see, your inner psyche. He was like the hippie of his time. Those new age views on wellness. That was his whole thing. So the spirit realm, channeling certain energies, that kind of thing, was part of his true psychology. His psychological research He viewed the subconscious mind as being full of important information to study. He found the abstract very worth sitting with. So he took a much more philosophical approach to actual concrete scientific research. So he was viewed as kind of an oddity, not as well remembered as Sigmund Freud, who actually he, he got along with really well for a long time. In fact, Freud is the person who nominated Carl Jung to head the International Psychoanalytical Association upon its foundation. Just a couple of years later, though, their relationship was really permanently strained. They really kind of got into a heated disagreement on these philosophical, psychological grounds. So Carl Jung is remembered less because he was taken less seriously, and he was more wordy and vague in his wording. Very New Age language, not a lot of just concrete, hard, scientific terminology. He is considered, though, to have helped make two big contributions to substantial psychology research. One was he helped first create the conceptualizing of introverts versus extroverts, And the other thing is the four main functions, thinking, feeling, sensing, and intuiting, that became the foundation for most modern-day personality tests. First of all, Freud and Carl Jung agreed on a lot. They saw the unconscious mind as so important to understanding all of human psychology. There's this iceberg analogy in psychology. That's why I mentioned the iceberg earlier, because it's just the tip of the iceberg, what you see in your front-facing persona. So much else gets buried in the shadow, which is the term for everything that doesn't go in the persona, everything that stays hidden or suppressed. That's why it's called the sea of unconscious, like that frozen part of the iceberg that is so, so deep and so seemingly unending, no end in sight. They agreed on the unconscious mind. They agreed that the past impacts your present and future, and they agreed that the psyche has separate but interconnected systems at play. What they did not agree on were some huge, huge deals. Even Freud's whole team was really anti Yun, like his biographer who called Yun quote, descended into a pseudo-philosophy out of which he never emerged, unquote. Basically, he dressed up the way of calling Yun delusional. Freud viewed the innate human desire driving everything at its core to be sexual, to be physical. Physical urges are what we act on as humans, our main instinct. Yoon was like, no way. That is not at all the innate human driver. The innate human driver of everything. He was like, the ultimate life goal is individuation, achieving self-realization, coming into your own as a person. Basically, they both saw the sort of uncontrollable force that impacts everything you do and shapes what you do. This innate human force that drives people. They just disagreed about what that energy looks like. A sexual energy, whereas Yoon saw it as a very more individualistic and inner world focused energy. Way different than just a sex drive thing. Freud also focused more on the past and how the past helps shape your future. Carl Jung wanted to focus more on the future than Freud did. Jung thought of things like fate, destiny, coincidence, those types of concepts of how you may be shaping your future, what your future will look like, looking forward. Freud also viewed the subconscious mind as basically for oppressed memories, and that the way to heal then was to resurface your oppressed memories to talk about them, to process them. Whereas Carl Jung saw the unconscious mind as much deeper and much harder to just take memories out of and unrepress them and process them. So, therapy wise, Freud would approach it as addressing stuff you've been keeping bottled up. Jung would view true healing as coming from just making peace with the past, what may stay repressed forever, and then focusing on the goal of becoming more aligned with the collective unconscious. So Freud saw dreams as just kind of repositories for those suppressed memories. The meaning he got out of dreams was that's your, the buried stuff in your past, basically. Whereas Carl Jung saw dreams as about so much more symbolic significance. That dreams were also a guide for your future and for your life upon awakening. And that your dreams are much more impactful in your daily waking life than Freud did. Freud kind of had a more, I see as like an analytical, clear-cut distinction between addressing your dreams and addressing your real life. Jung saw the spiritual and dream worlds as so interwoven into daily life, you can't sever them. You can't isolate those variables when trying to really understand the human mind. So Freud stayed in analysis mode, Jung got more abstract. Jung also saw personality as more malleable over a lifetime. Lots of other areas where they never made amends over their disagreements. Carl Jung coined the term collective unconscious and viewed the unconscious mind as having two layers to it, collective and personal. Personal is self-explanatory, your individual unconscious thoughts and actions. That relates to complexes, so like an inferiority complex, a god complex. When people say you have a complex, that refers to your personal unconscious. Then there is the collective unconscious, which is based on a community-wide, shared view, shared set of beliefs, shared way of being. He saw evolution as having led to these imprinted characteristics in humans. After all, human bodies don't take on a brand new form with each generation. They take on the form that's become the blueprint for human bodies over time. So he thought similarly, our minds kind of imprint onto the next generation, and that people are born with some human thoughts and ideas inherently in their brain already, leading to a collective psyche passed down from their ancestors. That things are left in the human collective psyche that are shared. And he noticed this shared meaning-making foundation. He just noticed so many similarities between symbols and beliefs among people over time. So he thought there must be something inherently consistent throughout time that binds generations together, just part of the human brain. He said, well, of course, it varies a lot, different temporal and spatial contexts, but the root archetypes stay the same. So the main difference is you have your personal unconscious, which has to do with complexes. Then there is the collective unconscious, and that revolves around archetypes. Shared mean roles you see, with a shared human definition of those roles. Again, specific context changes everything, but the root cause, the root definition of archetypes stays the same. The Greek word arca means first, and type means imprint, or pattern. Archetypes can be people, characters, or just themes, patterns, And they manifest in the form of stories, religions, different motifs, different forms. Some main archetypes you might see are the seeker, the destroyer, the ruler, the wise man, the fool, the warrior, the caregiver, that are just throughout history part of human storytelling and meaning making, making sense of the world around us. If you feel like this is still quite unclear, that's kind of the point. And Carl Jung actually had a built-in defense of his work to critics because he said, well, yeah, I can't be super specific about what these terms mean because that would be reductive and counterintuitive. Jung actually thought of, over time, the term objective psyche was better than collective unconscious. He argued he could say it was objective because everyone has it, and it has a stronger sense of self than the ego or anything else ever could. Jung and Freud did both agree on certain systems making up your psyche, the ego and then the unconscious mind, just different names for them. This quote seems extra relevant to Billy's story now. Quote, we cannot judge dreams from the conscious point of view, but can only think of them as complementary to consciousness dreams answer the questions of our conscience. We are not far from the truth. In fact, we are very near. When we think of our dreams as answers to questions, which we have asked and which we have not asked, unquote. Also super relevant, he said, quote, who looks outside, dreams, who looks inside, awakes, unquote. There are so many archetypes, but the four big ones to note that Yun focused on the most. One is the persona, your front-facing self the mask you present to the world, a mix of natural and social norm-dictated traits. The shadow is the opposite that always comes with. The persona wouldn't exist without the shadow, and vice versa. It's the source of all sorts of energy, both destructive and creative, just this big junk drawer of all your thoughts and beliefs and values and everything about you that does not go into the conscience persona you present to the world. All that stays in your shadow, and it doesn't go away. So you can suppress a memory, a fear, whatever, but it's still there. And the more you ignore it, the darker, the bigger the shadow can become. Sometimes there is so much to a shadow, so much combined, so many thoughts, ideas, views, beliefs, memories, etc., that the shadow takes on a life of its own, which brings into play maybe the bunny, the weird evil, perhaps bunny, in Billy's story, as well as all the references to this shadowy figure who kidnapped Billy, straight up just owned her, took over her life. Yun said, quote, knowing your own darkness is the best method for dealing with the darknesses of other people. One does not become enlightened by imagining figures of light, but by making the darkness conscious. The most terrifying thing is to accept oneself completely, unquote. Which makes sense given Billy saying they feel like the world is newly bright for them after they started to believe in themselves. They gave that self-doubt the disinfectant sunlight it needed. There's a really interesting way to think about shadows because they are projections. By very nature, a shadow is a projection, not a tangible thing. So shadows and what you keep in them are not there. They're all projected outwards, implying that they are all inside of you, originally, before you project them. So the evil forces are inside you, as are the creative ones, the good ones. It's all there, internally. Life is about projecting them outwards, which explains a lot of Billy's metaphor usage in the lyrics and videos. Yun viewed these evil forces as legit, they're there, but he also said it's just, it's really hard to sever the true evil from projected views of what constitutes it. Another key archetype, the anima slash animus. The feminine traits in a man or the masculine inner self in a woman. He viewed some main modern day issues as stemming from this disconnect of refusing to get in touch with your anima. Humans, as he called it, instinctual foundation. And he saw these traits as mirroring each other due to men and women living together for so many generations. Again, he connected his spiritual thoughts with a more evolutionary, scientific context. The anima is basically a term for the deep emotions, this well of spiritual forces, this inner core of being, of essence. So facing a shadow always requires facing your anima, your animus. So persona, shadow, anima, then there is the self. You saw the self as the midpoint of the personality, a.k.a. the nice balance between consciousness and unconsciousness. Finding that middle ground of what to put above the surface, I guess, or under the iceberg, that surface of the water. And he viewed that selfhood is the ultimate balancing act with the persona, the shadow, the anima. Keeping those forces in check, addressing them so they don't get too massive and take on a life of their own. He actually tried to use himself as a case study a lot. Tried to poke his imagination by playing with kids, toys, and games. And seeing how that stimulated his imagination, he would then write down what he dreamed up afterwards. Hence all the games and toys in Billy's videos. He actually almost drove himself mad, or he thought he did. He feared he was really losing it, but he restored faith in the concept of premonitions after he started dreaming of these worldwide catastrophes just a few months before the start of World War I. He saw that moment as one of an example of synchronicity, when you feel like you had a foreshadowing, some ominous sign from the universe hit you. He viewed that as this moment of unity between the personal and collective unconsciousnesses, like they work together sometimes in those moments when you felt like you saw the future, when you had a feeling something was going to end up a certain way. Those are moments he viewed as proof this collective unconscious is writing our shared future, writing our shared destiny. So Billy's story is overall about their journey to process their personas versus shadows to deal with the kind of emotions Matilda dealt with, the self doubt the feeling ignored. They're trying to find out how to balance, how to achieve selfhood, that perfect midpoint, that balancing act between what they're dreaming up and what's real, between feeling deserved a regret for what happened to Billy versus not beating themselves up over it. To find the truth, they have to figure out who they are first, to understand their true role in everything. I don't think they're ever going to just flat out say, yep, here's what all the things in our videos meant to represent. But it is something I think we will get more clarity about. But I do think there are many more chapters before we get tons of clarity about what's going on. It's a messy process that's maybe not linear as they try to explore the recesses of their minds and what they dream up. They will probably continue to cover these themes, so hopefully this context helps you see their future releases with a certain level of understanding you wouldn't otherwise have. Lots more thoughts about this, but it's been a long episode, I'll cap it here. We'll talk more about this in the future for sure. Thank you guys for listening, and I'll talk to you all again very soon. Bye everybody!